Phil's Clippers podcast coming at you here on Sunday afternoon after the Los Angeles Clippers finally ended the losing streak with a win against the Houston Rockets. The Beard comes up with a clutch three at the end of the game to win it for the Clippers after a massive lineup change that saw Russell Westbrook move to the bench in place of Terrence Mann. Brandon Marcus here, your host, joined by a fan favorite, a favorite of mine, a guy who I have not seen on this podcast. I looked it up since April. It has been a long time since I've chatted with this dude, Justin Wilson, at LA Clippers Film on Twitter. He knows his stuff. He's always great when he just drops his dimes all over the place about Clippers basketball. And he's back on the Ethos Clippers podcast. Justin, what's up, my dude? What is going on? April is too long you can't go that long again but happy to be on happy to be on uh as you said um a lot has changed in clipper in clipper basketball just in the last game so um yeah i'm happy to be on we got a lot to chat about uh, i have a couple different topics i want to discuss of course the main one we'll start with the lineup change you and i have both been on the team one of these guys needs to come off the bench and that one guy probably needs to be russell westbrook um, we have been talking about how Terrence Mann should start, and he was going to start this season, but of course he got hurt. And then you bring in James mm-hmm. Harden, and there was this experiment. They're going to try to play all four of those guys together plus Zoo, which never really made sense considering that Russell Westbrook does not shoot the ball well. Zoo does not shoot the ball well. The spacing is a disaster. And finally, Ty made the change. I want to talk to you first about the change that was made and how long it took because I mentioned that Ty usually takes 10 games or so before he makes any sort of adjustments. But with the losing streak happening and with the urgency to win games now, because the West is loaded. So if you go on a long losing streak, you can find yourself in a very big ditch to try and get out of. So I want to talk about the need to change and Ty's willingness to do so that quickly. Are you impressed at all with Ty Lue making the change this early um, before we actually talk about the change itself, but I want to talk about the how quick it took. Are you surprised that it was this quick, or do you think it says something about the front office and it says something about Ty? Um, I'm somewhat surprised that it happened this quickly. I think um, the results were just so bad that um, things had to change. And, um, you know, I... I hesitate to think that this was the result of, I mean, it's probably a collaborative approach, but no, I'm, I'm not all that surprised that it took this, this, this quickly, just because of how dire the results were. It'd be one thing if they were losing close games or if they weren't on a six game losing streak, maybe they were like two and three or two and four since the trade or something like that. And like the offense was really good, but the defense was bad or something like that. But the starting lineup was just pitiful. It was, it was God awful. And so um, a change had to be made. Um, Once, once you reach that line, that six, six game in terms of like a losing streak, you're, 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 you're looking at some real, um, some real wins that need to come almost immediately, especially with how the schedule looks after um, this Spurs, this Spurs, these next couple of Spurs games. So um, they needed to stack some wins. Um, I think that there is a sense of urgency from the front office and that kind of um, put the battery in the team's back to make this um, necessary uh, adjustment. And, you know, um, for me, 
I am one of those guys that I try to not shoot coaches bail, but I understand that decisions are not just like pure basketball decisions. So there are relationships that need to be nourished in the locker room and you need to um, you need to keep buying. And so certain things have to fail so that you can do what you already know needs to be done. And so. Luckily, I think we've talked about it before on, on Twitter. Um, it's a good thing that we're going through this um, with 70 plus games left to go yeah. rather than um, we've burnt 30 games, you know. So um, good that it happened now. And I'm looking forward to seeing what this new adjustment um, will look like. Yeah, that was one of the main things I said when the trade was made, that I'd rather it be made now as opposed to the panic move that most likely would happen during the January, February trade deadline uh, mm-hmm. time, because then you go through this exact same five, six game losing streak. Remember, you saw it with Russell Westbrook when he joined the Clippers. Right. The Clippers had lost a handful in a row, and then they finally were able to make some changes. But you make a change that late, and it's probably too late to get some chemistry going. Now, and that's, you make the trade, and, and, and you have chemistry. A, and that's assuming that you can even make the trade. Yeah. Because other teams start to get a bit more desperate once they get to the trade deadline. And all of a sudden, Nico Batum, Robert Covington, and a 2028 20, first, among other things, may not be enough. You know? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And the, Batum may not be healthy at that point, mm-hmm. And you just never know. And so, yeah, it's right. really, that's a really good point also. So, But they made the move. And I said on the last podcast that – they need to make it now, and they could do it before the Denver game. Um, but if it didn't work, then it would look bad if they go and lose to Denver. They actually looked decent against Denver. Ended up losing that game. Just showed a little bit of promise. And then finally, after the Denver game, I said, all right, if you don't do it before the Denver game, you got to do it afterwards. And so they did make that change uh, before Houston. And the, the starters looked really good. Uh, I know you were able to go back and watch it. Curious mm-hmm. to get your thoughts on the starters and the change itself and what you saw with Harden in the starting lineup versus Harden and Westbrook in the starting lineup. What changed for you when watching um, that game? Um, I, as you said, um, they were, they were tremendous. I think, um, they had the starting lineup, the new starting lineup had like a 130 offensive rating in like 16 minutes with just like a 74 defensive rating in like, um, 16 minutes. They were, they were fantastic. And even just numbers aside, um, when Harden is coming off of pick and rolls and zoo is rolling to the basket, um, the lane wasn't wasn't as clogged. Um, you saw Terrence doing a lot of that like connector stuff that he's known for. And as cliche as it sounds, um, the floor just looked a bit more space. And I thought that you saw for this is probably if I'm going off the top of my head, but this that was the first time that the big three of Harden um Leonard and George all scored over 20 points together. And I don't think that's a coincidence. They all, um, they all had way more, uh, space to play with. And, you know, that, that, that to me is something that I was just a huge, huge proponent of. I, I felt like those guys need space, right? Like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are our two best players and their strengths are especially in a half court is over the top shot making, but we've got to make their lives as easy as possible. And that can't work. If zoo is rolling to the basket with um, Russell Westbrook in a dunker spot or 
um, we're trying to get something going on offense and teams are just flat out ignoring Russell Westbrook, which Memphis did and Denver did and even the Lakers did a couple weeks ago. So um, I felt like you almost saw immediately the difference, especially um, in even more so when you flip Terrence for um, Norm. Um, that that lineup was really good, too. So um, I think I think that switch allowed them to just get to more lineups with more spacing. And it's easier to do that when with Westbrook coming off the bench versus starting. And so the big thing that I saw was that James and Paul and Kawhi especially all were able to operate with a bit more space in, in their sweet spots, especially with James out of pick and roll. Yeah, they just look so much better. Um, shout out to Justin Russo, by the way, who floated the idea of Norm Powell possibly starting and what that would do to the starting unit. Well, he closed and he looked really good. I'm pretty sure I saw this stat. I didn't actually go back and check it that Norm played the final 18 minutes um, of that game against the mm. Rockets. I'm not sure if he came mm-hmm. out at all, but that, I saw that floating around Twitter. Um, that's Montrez Harrell st- style there from Ty Lu, But he was really good. And just to get to back up that stat about Harden, uh, PG and Kawhi, the Clippers were a plus 24 in the 26 minutes that the three guys played together. And Justin Russo had this stat at fly by night. It's the first time the season, the season that the trio registered a positive plus minus. They've been a minus 40 in 108 minutes prior to tonight. And that's because you got to see who was with them on the floor. And Russell Westbrook was one of the guys that was with them on the floor a lot of the time. And then you had other guys like that just weren't very good. And P.J. Tucker, you had Musa Diabate um, that were on the floor with some of these guys. So mm-hmm. with those three guys playing together, you get a guy in Terrence Mann that can play wherever you need him. And then you add him with Zoo that helps you out, like you said, the pick and roll. It, it, it looked a lot better. And it was certainly helpful to see that Westbrook was willing to, um, whether it was him doing it or it was just that's the way it's being spun. Apparently, Law just came out um, on Twitter today and said, uh, you can believe it if you want, that he was the one that did it. So uh, who knows? Yeah, I I don't know either way. I mean, it would seem seem odd for a player like him to go and text Ty Lue and say whatever you need. But at the same time, this is the same guy that took a very small contract to come back to the Clippers. So it really does feel like he is bought in as much as we have gone after him in the past and didn't like the addition. Um, he has bought in and done whatever it takes for the Clippers to win games. So that helps. Now, let's talk about James Harden because you've talked a mm-hmm. lot on Twitter about how the ball needs to be in his hands and that mm-hmm. the Clippers need to just go through him. When he does that, does it have the potential to hurt Kawhi at all? Because you don't see Kawhi get the amount of shots up that he was getting prior. Because the one thing I've noticed, Justin, I'm curious if you agree, it does seem like there's a lot of iso ball one-on-one with PG and Kawhi whenever they're on the floor. And I'm curious if you think that Harden, if that's maybe going to help avoid doing that as much with the passing and the kicking is, is that going to help because the offense just hasn't looked good in general and still on against the Houston Rockets I saw a lot of iso ball which I didn't love curious what you think yeah so the direct answer in my opinion is yes because for starters you're not going to eliminate all of the isolation basketball because that's just what Kawhi Leonard and Paul George do and you know they they're they're really they're really good at it they're really good at getting to their sweet spots um shooting over the top um contested shot making um in in and so you're not going to eliminate that completely but i think one of the 
the things, one of the principal things that you want to establish as an offense is putting teams in rotation. And part of the reason why the starting lineup needed to be changed is because with two non-shooters, it makes it virtually impossible to put teams in rotation consistently because teams are just not guarding Russell Westbrook and Russell Westbrook is occupying a lot of the floors that um, Zoo on a lot of occasions um, does. So to me, the reason, the way you get to um, more more play finishing instead of like Kawhi Leonard and Paul in isolation is by using James Harden and running offense through him. Um, that doesn't mean that he's going to shoot. I also don't think that means he's going to pound the rock like he did in prime Houston days. But what that does mean is him coming off a pick and roll. Um, he's been dynamo over the last couple of seasons as a catch and shoot guy, but also an off as an off the dribble shooting threat. So defense, Defenses have to respect that. So with Zoo rolling and with with um, James Harden coming off a screen roll, demanding attention, that allows Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to do more more of the play finishing stuff. And that play finishing stuff is what keeps teams in rotation after James Harden gets them into rotation off of his pick and roll game. And so that's not what's happening with Russell Westbrook as the point guard because teams will just go under. And if teams are going under, then you're not putting two on the ball and putting getting teams to put two on the ball is the is the point of like getting teams in rotation. And I think James Harden is has been one of the best in league history at that. And that it's no wonder why all of James Harden led teams are like um, efficient offenses. They're like top 10 offenses, right? Like I, I think a lot of fans um, lost sight of the fact that this guy was a 21 and 11 guy last year for a 54 win team. And Embiid got an MVP off of Harden's attention. And Tyrese Maxey had a breakout year last year off of James Harden's attention. And so him as a point guard is just really great at putting teams in rotation. And that's going to allow Paul and Kawhi to do a lot of play finishing. And if they are finishing plays instead of isolation, that's going to um, make our offense all the more efficient. So, um, yeah, I definitely believe that James Harden as the point guard running more offense through him is one of the keys towards us not being so ISO heavy. And Harden had seven assists. And I think that it does need to be mentioned that Harden has been super efficient as well. I mean, he was eight of 11 from the field. If you take away the three pointers, he was six of seven from the field and you add in his ability to rebound the basketball, which he does do nine rebounds in that game. He actually led the Clippers in rebounds, which shows that he cares. So a lot of people are talking about Westbrook and how Westbrook has that drive and that desire to rebound. Well, Harden does as well. So it's a little underrated that Harden's actually a decent rebounder. Um, and when he cares, he can certainly do that. And he was a plus 21. He led the team in plus minus. So this is why you make the trade. A lot of people were saying, don't make it. Your team was doing really well. You have the chemistry. The team looked good out of the gate with PG and Kawhi. And I've always said on this podcast that the uh, the chances of PG and Kawhi making it the whole season are slim to none. And that's why you want to have another guy because you need to raise your regular season ceiling because You're right. you, you need to finish top four because you need to get that home court. And while that may be unlikely now because of this losing streak, it's still possible. And mm-hmm. with the Clippers, it, it just feels like they had a certain level. And Tomara Zarley wrote a great article for Clutch Points. And his main take, one of the main things that I took away from it was 
one one line he had was, I don't think the Clippers right now are built to win before Harden. I don't think they were built to win a title. And I said, that's why you make this deal. Because as constructed, I don't think the team was good enough. Could you have made a trade at the deadline using those same assets to get somebody else? Sure, possible. But you need a guy like Harden that then can use PG and Kawhi and get them uh, their points and get them scoring and see what that offense can do. And the defense at times won't matter because your offense is going to be that damn good. And you mentioned the Norm Powell thing when we were talking earlier. And one thing that Justin mentioned is that um, in the eight minutes that Norm Powell spent alongside Harden, PG, Kawhi, and Zoo, so with those other four starters, the Clippers were a plus 11 in those eight minutes. The Rockets scored nine total points on 14 possessions. So mm-hmm. some, you would think the defense may not be good there because Powell has been just a Olay type guy. He has not been good. And Harden's not known for his defense. But with PG, Kawhi, and Zoo, and with the offense, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't seem to matter. So I, no, you're I, right. I, I you're think right. that it's just this team has such a high ceiling now offensively. It's just about putting it together. And I, I like what I saw um, in that game. Yeah, that lineup that you mentioned had a 125 offensive rating with wow. the the core four starters with with Norm. And while you don't expect a lineup to be that potent all year, um, that should be an unstoppable offensive lineup. And you know, I remember I was talking with Adam Oslin on Twitter, and we both were talking about it should be either Norm or Terrence to replace Russ. And I kind of lean Terrence only because of the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know how tenable long term Norm and Harden would be um, in the backcourt, but I definitely, I mean, yeah, Norm and Harden in the backcourt would be kind of like flammable defensively. But yeah, I think that. Um, that four with Norm is just, I mean, that that's going to be an unstoppable offense. You're talking about Harden Zoo pick and roll and teams having no choice but to either give Zoo a dunk or tag the roller, which is going to leave one of Kawhi, PG, or Norm open for like threes or, or like uh, catch and shoots where they can um, attack closeouts and keep teams in rotation. And so I battled with that a lot mentally in my head about like, should we actually look at Norm starting? Because I don't think there's a defense. I, this is going to sound crazy, but I don't think there's a defense in the NBA that should be able to um, stop that team, stop that lineup from hanging a routinely 119 offensive rate. Like that, that's a, that's a very potent offensive um lineup and so i thought obviously it's just one game against houston but i thought the early returns were very much on the nose as far as what you would hope for and what you would expect um given the offensive potency of that lineup um and how that projects to be and here's the thing you and i talk about this all the time um remember back with the whole luke Kennard should he play thing and you and i always talk you and i always talk about what matters is your postseason rotation And in the postseason, you're probably only going to play seven guys, eight guys max. And those eight guys, I mean, it's now George, Kawhi, Zoo, Harden, Mann. And then you probably have Westbrook, Plumlee, and Powell. And those are your eight dudes. And the benefit of making a trade like this is that it does consolidate. And here's the thing. If the Clippers get an injury, they're screwed anyways. So Mm -hmm. if healthy, though, and you just mentioned it, if you put Powell and Mann with those other four, I mean, that's a great top six 
a yeah. really, really good top six. And who knows what Westbrook will bring. And Plumlee has showed himself to be a very good backup center. Because guess what? Zoo's not going to play very heavy minutes all the time. I mean, I was stunned that he played 35 minutes. It was the most minutes he has spent on the court um, since, I believe, February. Which wow. it, it just shows you how little... Ty Lue trusts him at times. I mean, we can talk about the end of the game where Ty Lue took out Zoo with the Clippers up by one, and immediately Houston went to Shengun, and they got a point out of it, and it could have easily been two if they, if he made both those free throws. And so mm-hmm. at times, Ty tends to go away from Zoo with the Clippers winning games, which drives me absolutely insane because Zoo helps your defense, and he helps you rebound. And there are a lot of chances to get those second-chance opportunities with Zoo off the floor. So him playing 35 minutes is a really good sign. And so I think as constructed, this team just looks good going into the postseason. You talk about Mann, you talk about Powell, and those two, two guys are interchangeable. Now, here's the thing. The regular season still matters, and the bench yeah. was really, really bad. The bench was awful in that game against the Rockets. Curious what you think needs to change, because... We can talk night and day about P.J. Tucker. Um, I have not liked anything I've seen from him really at (laughs) all from him. He has been dreadful when he's been a four next to a five. I mean, that is a certainty. I mean, the numbers are, um, and Lucas, who does a great job with Lob the Jam and 213 Hoops, he said the Clippers with P.J. Tucker, okay, were a minus 24 in 15 minutes. The new look starters were plus 20. And the rotate lineups without P.J. Tucker were a plus 10. P.J. Tucker, a minus 24 in 15 minutes. Okay, that's hard to do. And that is really bad. And you look at Daniel Tice, and I want to get your thoughts on his addition as well. And with Westbrook and Powell, I mean, this bench now is not good. And that's one really downfall of trading all that depth. So curious where you think this team can get better. Because the bench has to get better at some point because their Clippers bench is going to lose them games if they rely on their starters to go 35 to 40 minutes every single game and put up incredible numbers. It's just tough to do, Justin. Yeah, I mean, you said it. it's 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 incredibly tough to do. Um, obviously, Mason Plumley would help. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I think... Uh, they may need to seriously consider going away from um, PJ Tucker just completely um, unless he's just strictly being like a center because him at power forward is just completely, completely worthless. But ultimately I think it's on, um, I think what they're doing is they're still pairing uh, Westbrook with, with Paul George. And I think it's on those two guys to really carry those second units and really keep this, keep that scoring punch going. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I, if I'm not mistaken, um, in six minutes, a lineup of Tucker, Westbrook, George, Norm Powell, and Zoo only had like a 58 offensive rating. That just that that's just like a little too low. And at certain points, you just have to have a situation where um, if Russell Westbrook is that guy. And if Paul George is that guy, then they should be able to hold up um, second units for that four or five minute span. Um, But I also think that this team still even still is not a finished product. And um, I think as this team goes on into December and into January, um, we'll see what shakes free. 
Uh, but to your point, the bench is a concern, and that may be one of the main reasons why you start Terrence instead of Norm to keep Norm off the bench to hopefully help that scoring punch. But as Russell Westbrook becomes more acclimated to coming off the bench along with um, Paul George staggering, that should that should in theory, help the bench come along. But um, the P.J. Tucker thing is just one of those situations where whenever we play him off the bench as a four and then he's in the game with Russell Westbrook, that's just negative spacing. And again, you run into that situation where it's just too, too, too many non-shooters and that just makes life hell for everyone. And so um, they're going to have to figure out how to get Tucker on the floor um, because he seems to be somebody that Ty already trusts. Um, get Tucker on the floor, get Westbrook on the floor while also getting um Tice on the floor and still keeping some form of spacing. So um, that's on Ty to figure out. Um, I think in the coming weeks, there are going to be some tough conversations that are going to have to be had. But I think ultimately with Russ, Paul, Norm, um, that should be enough to buoy the um, those second units offensively. It's the front court and trying to figure out whether or not you want P.J. Tucker to be the backup center or you don't want P.J. Tucker at all because I don't think him at the four is just viable. It just creates way more of a spacing crunch than they need it. And you got to assume that Ty is seeing the same numbers we are, right? I mean, he's oh, yeah. he's, yeah, yeah. he's seeing that the numbers with P.J. Tucker as a four are just absolutely dreadful, and the lineups are actually survivable with him at the five. Like, he's got to be seeing that. But you you just brought something up, and I'm curious for you to build on it. You said that with Tucker, Tyson, Westbrook, that Ty has to figure out how to get spacing. How? Because, I mean, you're relying on Ty – to go with Tice, who can, I mean, he's often on shooting the basketball. Tucker seems to be only decent in the corners, and Westbrook is a very mediocre shooter. So how do you get the spacing to work? I, I just don't know how you can make that work unless you do Norm Powell. But the issue is, is that Norm Powell is terrible defensively. So then I, I don't know how you make that work. Well, this, the, the, the issue is that that's a flaw in the roster, and there's only so much um, patchwork you can do, but you can kind of see where Ty is headed. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, I, I mean, I'm sure we all noticed, um, he played just, Russell Westbrook played just 24 minutes against Denver and didn't close, and he only played uh, 17 minutes against Houston and didn't close. And so I think one of the ways that they're trying to get more spacing on the floor is kind of just like making, um, kind of limiting Russell Westbrook a bit, um, and for better or for worse, but ultimately I think um, they're going to have to come to a, uh, ah. see, to me, I think, as you said, Ty sees the data. I think he knows the data. I think what's going to end up happening is at some point, PJ Tucker is going to be out of the rotation. And I think that'll help a ton. I think that'll, I think just him not being in the rotation will help a ton because Daniel Tice and then hopefully Mason Plumlee isn't out for too many more weeks, um, they're going to be the centers here. And so I, I, I think if P.J. Tucker is just out of the rotation, um, that would improve some of the spacing in the second unit. But again, if you take P.J. Tucker out, who are you going to play? So it's, 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 it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, it's something that 
I think the team is going to continue to look to try to address as we get closer and closer to not just the deadline, but December 15th, when more guys can start to get traded. Um, you know, if anything, we know about this front office, they're incredibly active. And I do think that um, this this second unit um, is really, really small. And the size that they have, especially with like PJ Tucker, is just not really viable. So um, we'll see. We'll see. But it's definitely a hole that the team, um, you know, we can't have what we had in, against the Rockets where multiple times our starters build leads and then the second unit um, gives it away. And that's my concern. I mean, isn't it wild how much the Clippers need Plumley? I mean, who would have thought that it would come down to this where <laughs> you probably wouldn't see Tucker very much on the floor because you mentioned how bad he is as a four. And we mm. talked about that. And then him would probably as a five is OK. But the thing is, Plumley probably is better off having those numbers as a five unless you want to go super small. And so you get Tucker out of the rotation and maybe if that's the case and Plumlee's there, you're able to put in a guy like Amir Coffee or Bones Highland and put them in the that's rotation. The, Amir is the guy for me. Yeah. Expand on that. Uh, no, I just think he's he's one of the um, longest tenured Clippers. I mean, he's been within the Clippers ecosystem since the bubble and since that 2020 season. And um, he's someone who has the size um, and in, in in theory, he has the capability to be a backup four, right? He can't be any worse than what PJ Tucker is doing. And I just think I would I would like to explore that. Um, I think he just makes sense. And you know, over the last couple of seasons, we've literally only seen Amir Coffee in garbage time. But he is someone that I think can just soak up some regular season minutes at that four spot next to a either a, a, a rim diver in Mason Plumley or kind of a floor spacer, a floor spacer uh, like Daniel Tice. Even though Tice's um, shooting has been kind of just um, more theory than actuality for most of his career, his NBA career that is. But um, yeah, I'm I'm. I wouldn't say that Amir Coffee is just the answer. He's just someone that I think is very much worth exploring because PJ Tucker is just not the answer, right? As you said, if we we sign Daniel Tice, uh, Mason Plumlee hopefully will be back at some point. So the plan is definitely not to go super small here. You're, you you want to keep a center on the floor, and so if you're keeping a center on the floor, PJ Tucker just can't be that four. And I think with more data, um, Ty is will be armed with that data to allow um, to phase PJ out of the rotation. And I think that's where an opportunity for Amir may present itself. I'm hopeful of that, at least. Yeah, and it could be Bones as well. But like you said, Amir just does mm -hmm. seem to be a glue guy. And <clears throat> there was a time on this podcast where I asked you, Amir, T-Man, who would you rather have? And you did say Amir. And so you... You have been all over Amir for a while, and he certainly knows your system and knows what he can bring to your team. And he carried the team for a while uh, at some point a couple of years ago. Now, here's the thing. And Daniel Tice isn't the biggest dude in the world. It's not like we're bringing in a seven-footer all of a sudden. Right, right. But he does have the ability to spread the floor and can probably just be better on your team than a guy like P.J. Tucker. I mean, at least what we've seen so far from P.J. Let me ask you this. Um, I wonder... If the Clippers get to a point where they think about trading Westbrook, because sure, he is beloved by guys like PG and Kawhi, 
and Bones Highland has looked up to him and helped him help groom him into the point guard that he is now. But I do wonder if they seem to deal Westbrook to try and get somebody that fits this team better off the bench. Um, and maybe that allows you to, by the way, to then play Bones Highland as that backup point guard and brings in a guy that you maybe you can put at that three or four position. How likely do you think that is? Because I think it may be a thing the Clippers could do. And it's worth noting the contract is really small for Westbrook. Exactly. So I wonder if that's a possibility. Do you think it is or do you think it's crazy? Oh, I don't I don't think it's crazy at all. I I happen to think that there is a non-zero chance, no pun intended, that he would he won't be on the team past the deadline, whether that be because of a trade, whether that be because of getting waived or something like that. Um, I just I, I do honestly think that the writing is kind of on the wall and it took all of five games five well well yeah it took all of five games five six games since Harden has been here to already get his minutes cut down to like 18 and you know I I I I, I I hesitate to just come down on Russ completely because, as you said earlier in the pod, um, he has been a good soldier for the Clippers, and he has done a lot. Uh, he has tried to change his game to help the Clippers as far as like trying to screen more, trying to cut more. But ultimately, those are things that Terrence Mann does better than him. And the point guard stuff that he's good at are things that James Harden is just flat out vastly superior than than Westbrook in. And so you ask yourself, where does he fit, right? Um, you know, Law Murray uh, from The Athletic, he tweeted out earlier today that he expects Norm Powell to continue to play more than um, Westbrook in the rotation. And so to me, Again, the writing just feels like it's on the wall where I just don't know where, what his place is in the rotation. Um, I just don't I, I don't see it. I think we could use Bones' ball handling and shooting a bit more. Um, obviously, Norm's shooting has been like he's been kind of lights out to start the year as a 45 percent three point shooter. And, you know, I at, at some point, the numbers are what they are. You know, Russell Westbrook is shooting under 32 percent from three this year. Um, he's shooting below 28 percent on catch and shoot threes. And more importantly than that, teams just don't guard him. They don't respect him as an off ball threat. And so I I. And Ty knows that, which is why Ty continuously doesn't he he doesn't close with him. Um, he's already took him out of the starting lineup. Um, he's already got him down to 17 minutes, as I stated. So, like, I don't I I, I definitely think it's I don't know if I'll say more likely than not, but I definitely think it's possible that there is some way where we trade him or we uh, waive him or something like that, or they come to an agreement on something because um, I don't think Russell Westbrook's role on this team is clear anymore. And I don't even know where he would like function to like eat up real minutes. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that, 
um, I'm sneakily paying attention to, and it'll be interesting to see how Ty keeps him in the um, rotation and keep him engaged because there's just there's just a lot of like ambiguity with respect to his role now. Now that he's coming off the bench, because he's coming off the bench, but so is like Norm Powell, who is going to eat up a lot of minutes, and he's a much better fit next to Harden, Kawhi, and Paul, and so. Yeah, it's it's something that like, you know, when when he's 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 a player that plays a couple of positions as far as the one and the two. And we're kind of loaded at, at those positions. So um, I'm anxious to see how this all plays out for him. Yeah, I wonder um, how long it takes before we all of a sudden get to the all right, Russell's going to get some DMP CDs because we want to see what Bones looks like with mm-hmm. the bench unit and if that does happen because it feels like that would be the next step and after that step would be the trade or the wave him. Um, the and- only thing with trade is that, as you stated, as you stated, he makes so little. Yeah. Right? So, like, if he's a part of a trade, um, it, it'd have to be with, like, quite a few players and I just don't think we have the contracts anymore. So, um yeah, that's why I'm like, I, I, I could totally see where a player who's as proud as Russell Westbrook is, if he's if he's playing behind Norm and eventually like Bones or something, and which I don't know if that'll happen, but like, you know, 17 minutes a game for us, I... I hesitate to think that that's something that he agreed to in the off season. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I, I think someone as proud as him may talk with the front office and negotiate a release so that he can get a viable role elsewhere. Um, I don't know where that viable role is just from a basketball perspective, but yeah, I I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. It's one of those things where I don't think he's going to be satisfied playing 15 to 20 minutes a game. And I could see the front office being like, all right, Hey, we want to do right by you. We want to send you, we want to like release you because you can go sign with a place that you want to actually be at. But at the same time, he loves these guys. I mean, he likes PG, he likes Kawhi. I mean, he loves playing with some of these dudes. So you do wonder if this just continues to be a thing where he plays 15 to 20 minutes a game. But I do think that they're going to get to a point where Bones is probably going to have to get a look. And that seems to be that it would be at the expense of Russell Westbrook. And I do want to reiterate it, and you just did, that what what Russell Westbrook has done for this team has been far and away above my expectations. And he was tremendous last year, and I was dead wrong in terms of what he brought to this team. Now, that being said... It just doesn't seem like it's a great fit now that you have James Harden. I mean, you brought in a guy that just does a lot of things better. And the one thing that Russ has is he has pace. And Bones can do that too. Bones can certainly have that energy as well. Russ is a great rebounder. That's something that you may not be able to replicate um, as much with anybody else. But there are just so many different things that different players bring to the table. I just don't know if he fits. So I'm curious to see what happens there. Two more things I want to hit on. Um, Daniel Tice quickly. You talked about how they brought him in and we'll see how he works in the lineups. What are your thoughts on the addition of him? Because it's one of those things I saw people excited about because the Clippers need a backup center, but they brought in a guy that wasn't very tall. I mean, he's six foot eight, I believe. Um, He can spread the floor. Curious if you think it's a good addition or is he someone that all of a sudden is going to find himself released in a month or two? I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's, I don't, 
he may be released in a month or two, but I was just excited because, like, you know, we were playing Musa Diabate row minutes, and those minutes were yeah. going horribly. Yeah. So, uh, and, like, you know, P.J. Tucker is just, at this stage of his career, it's just not the viable answer for, like, your only center, you know what I mean? And so... So it's an anybody-but-you-guys um, type of thing, basically. Yeah, like, you know, just, he's... Daniel Tice is like he's someone who, as you said, he's not the biggest of guys, but, you know, he's still very much mobile. Um, he can he can move his feet a little bit. Um, as I said it earlier in the pod that his shooting was more actuality. I mean, more theory than reality. But teams will treat him like somebody who can floor space. And that's very important for the um, health of the offense. But more than anything, he's just an NBA player. A NBA front court player that isn't completely washed physically like PJ Tucker is. And I think long term, um, until Mace gets back, having a player in that space that's just can move and who is not washed is um is beneficial. So I was I was all for the move. Um I I thought that we wasted a couple of games um trying to wait for this uh buyout to happen so that we could get Mace. I mean, so that we could get Tice. But um nevertheless, um I'm a fan of the move. Uh I'm I don't expect much out of him, but just having a competent NBA front court player that's not uh Musa at this point or Kobe Brown or something, um, is 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 beneficial. And just that alone could have stopped this six game losing streak and it's those things on the margins that um can can go a long way so uh we'll see but i'm a fan of it i'm a fan of the move yeah i'm with you and i think it does make a lot of sense i think the main point is that you're you bring in a guy that's gonna play more than diabate and that he should steal mans from tucker and that's an addition by subtraction with those two guys leaving the lineup then you're you're adding something i mean it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter who's really getting their spot it's somebody that's viable and that is a warm body out there that is not bad. And um, there's been a lot of people that thought at some point that Diabate Diabate should be the backup center, and he's just not there yet. And a team that has championship aspirations can't be playing him big minutes. Um, He's got some growth to do, and he can do that in the G League. Uh, One last thing for you. Um, Something that I've been harping on the last couple of games, and I'm curious to get your take on it, because I haven't really seen many people bring it up. Um, I'm getting a little concerned about Ty's end-of-game calls. Um, they've been really bad, and it was last year that we saw it at points. This year, we've seen it a couple of times where it really seems like the end-of-game calls are, all right, get the ball to Kawhi or PG and go ISO. No ball movement, really nothing at all, and it turns out that they're long jumpers what seems like 90% of the time. Curious how much you've noticed it and how concerned you are, because I know that something that we lauded Ty Lue initially at was his... Um, ATOs and his, that's what the word, right? I'm, I'm not confusing that with mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. Um, and he had done a great job out of the timeout drawing up plays. It doesn't feel like that's the case in the end of games. It feels like it's a lot of ISO and not really a play being drawn up. Have you noticed that? And if so, are you concerned? Well, yeah, I, I, I gotta be honest. I don't, I haven't noticed um, a, 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 his play calling being bad as much as like, our offense, for the most part, 
um, is very much stationary in that we have two guys who excel in isolation. And so you want to put them in situations, especially down a stretch, where they can excel at what they do best, which is isolation basketball. And so that's going to make it appear that that's all we're going to. So that, 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 that to me is like a byproduct of having your two best players be isolation superstars. So you're going to have that down the stretch that's just that's just baked into what any team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George would be um but league-wide that's just something that um teams do down the stretch it's very it's play calling kind of ceases very basic very basic stuff so um yeah I, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too concerned um I would if if anything, I would probably just pay attention to what the Clippers look like over the next couple of weeks as they move towards more lineups that have more shooting, more spacing, and lineups that just overall make more sense around Kawhi and Paul. But um, I, I I gotta say uh, I wouldn't I didn't I haven't seen any like uh, alarm needing to go off about Ty Lue's play calling, um, in my opinion. Okay, good. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to see going forward. It just seems like whenever they have a late a shot at the end of a game, it just ends up being an ISO where it's a contested jumper, and it's like you're, you think to yourself, that's the best they could get. I mean, you draw a timeout, and you're going to have a 20-footer or a 24-foot three, three-pointer and with a man all over you. Like, that's the best shot you can get. So that, that has concerned me a bit. But maybe as Harden gets a little bit more familiar with PG and Kawhi, then you're able to get that drive and kick stuff with some movement. So hopefully that changes. But it that it did concern me a little bit, Justin. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would I would caution to expect not to expect anything too different um, in the in crunch time, just because that's just the way NBA basketball is for like yeah. all thirty teams, right? Like down the stretch, if you if you watch any game tonight, if any close game, um, like. For instance, Golden State and Golden State and Oklahoma City went down the wire um, last night, and it really was just Shea one-on-one excellence. And and so um, I would hesitate because, like, a lot of NBA coaches believe that that is the best thing um, to go down the stretch, which is just letting your best player make stuff happen. And so that may result in those long twos that you're referring to, but. You know, that's the lay of the land. Um, you start you start making you start drawing up like complicated play calling in those moments and the ball may end up in guys hands that you don't want. And so um, really, that's what coaches kind of lean towards. So I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that much to change down a stretch. What I would expect is a more efficient offense just as a whole um, long term. All right, fair points, and uh, I'll be curious to see what happens going forward. Justin Wilson at LA Clippers Film, always spitting some knowledge on this Ethos Clippers podcast. Justin, anything else you want to add? Yeah, I, I hope it's not. I hope it's not five, six, seven months before I'm on again. Uh, this was fun. I love it, man. It's always t- it's always fun talking Clippers hoops with you, and this is an exciting time. And like you mentioned early in the podcast, the Clippers have a couple of games against the Spurs. It'll be when- Monday and Wednesday, and the goal is to have a podcast coming at you on Tuesday night um, with Matt. So we'll see how that goes. Until next time, he is Justin at LA Clippers Film. I am Brandon at BD Marcus. Of course, Ethos Clippers Podcast. You can follow us as well. You can drop a five-star rating and review as well. It always does help the pod. So until next time, he's Justin. I'm Brandon, and go Clippers. Yes.